0: a word with you today, but just to give you a sense of, so we get a a sense of what a meaning here, I'm going to ask you two questions, if you could put the first slide up for me. Two questions, and I'd like you to share the answer with the person sitting next to you. The first is, what is a fraction? What is a fraction? And the second is, what's another term for dividing or division? All right, person next to you, 30 seconds, off you go. Okay, okay, back to school, eh? Back to school. What is a fraction then? What is a fraction? Um, A fraction is a part of a whole. Okay, did you get that right? Show me your hand, did you get it, yay. A fraction is a part of a whole. The smallest fraction, however small that fraction is, in fact, the bigger the denominator, the smaller the fraction, did you know that one? Ah. However small the fraction, it detracts from the whole. However small it is, whether it's a big fraction or a small fraction, if you take that fraction away, the whole is incomplete. However small that fraction is. Alright, just want you to hold on to that, because we're going to come back to it. The second question was, what's another term for divide? If you've got young children, you will know that they don't start with the word divide or division. They start with the word sharing, share, to share. So we don't talk about divide. So when Scripture talks about dividing and division, the word share and sharing also means the same thing. Okay? So I want to share a couple of... uh, scripture with you shortly, which have those words in. Division or sharing is about removing something from the whole, and giving it to someone or something else, okay? Sharing is about taking something out of the whole, and giving it away to something or someone else, okay? So, I want us to hold those two things and I want us to move on to to answer and think about a couple of things. What if? What if? What if you had someone close to you, someone very close to you, who confessed to being your best friend but you knew that they were not fully committed to you? What if? What if you invest time and money and possibly emotional energy in somebody in someone and then you find you find that they have divided loyalties they have divided loyalties they are ready to jump ship at the first opportunity. Maybe you hear it on the grapevine. Maybe it's something about the way they behave or they don't behave. They're ready to jump ship at the first opportunity. Um, You find that they're in it, they're with you for what they can get out of you. They're not committed to the relationship. You find that what if uh, they do things, they get to a place of doing things purely out of obligation rather than connection with you or commitment to you you find that they are half-hearted what if what if that was your situation what if how would you feel how would you feel how would you feel how would god feel more so how would god feel I want to talk to you about what it means to be wholehearted. What it means to be wholehearted. So recall that definition, those two definitions, and just think about those what-if questions. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. All refers to the whole. So you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. In Exodus 20, verse 5, it says this, I will not share, this is God, this is God speaking. He says, I will not share, I will not share your affection with any other God, with anyone else, Or with anything else. The question is, why does God need to say this to us today? Why does God need to say this to us today? Why is He telling us today? He wants all, He wants everything. He wants us to be wholehearted with Him. And He doesn't want us to share Himself, share His place with anything else or with anyone else. A fraction is missing. And that's what I felt the Holy Spirit was saying is, a fraction is missing. A fraction is missing. Some part of you does not belong to him. And you know, very often when somebody almost accuses us of something, there's a sense of guilt that goes with it, isn't there? we feel guilty. But actually, when God puts his finger on something in our lives, can you move on? When God puts his finger on something in our lives, it doesn't come with guilt. It doesn't come with guilt. It comes with encouragement. It comes with a a, a sort of a, come on, let's come up higher now. It's, It's time for you to move on. It's not, I'm condemning you but rather I'm encouraging you to take a different place, to come to a different position. And that's God's encouragement to us today. I want your whole heart. I want your whole heart. What fraction does God not have of your heart? Where is it? Who has it? What has it? What's keeping you from giving him everything? And how do you put it back? Those are questions that we're going to have a little look at today in our conversation, okay? Okay, let's think about the fractions. Let's look at the next one. I thought that picture might help you to think about the fraction that's missing. I want to start off by looking at a scripture um, in relation to those two words, mine and self-sufficiency. And it's in Second Chronicles, chapter 25, and verses 2 to 17. But in particular, I want to... Ooh, in particular, I just want to read this from the... Message Bible, just so you get a sense of the story. Get a sense of the story. In 2 Chronicles 25, verses 2 to 17, I'm just going to pick out bits of it. The first bit says, Amaziah. Amaziah was a king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And then they mention his mother. He lived well before God, doing the right thing. For most, for the most part, most of the time. But he wasn't wholeheartedly devoted to God. Okay? Amaziah was a king. He lived in Jerusalem. He lived well before God, doing the right thing for the most part. But he wasn't wholeheartedly devoted to God. The next bit says when he had the when he had the affairs of the kingdom well in hand. Now, in another version, it says, when he was well established in his kingdom. Now, that's important, especially thinking about us today. When he was well established, it says he executed the palace guard for what they'd done in the past. And then if you go on down um, in verse five, verses five and six, it says, Amaziah organized Judah and sorted out and sorted out Judah and Benjamin by families and by military units. Men who were 20 years and older had to register, and they ended up with 300,000 judged capable of military service. In addition, he hired 100,000 soldiers from Israel in the north at a cost of about four and a half uh, tons of silver. A holy man showed up and said, Oh, king, no, don't let those northern Israelite soldiers into your army God is not on their side, nor will any of the Ephraimites, nor with any of the Ephraimites. Instead, you go by yourself and be strong. God, and God only, has the power to help or hurt your cause. But Amaziah said to the holy man, but what about this, all this money? These tons of silver I've already paid out to hire these men. God's help is worth far more to you than that, said the holy man. So Amaziah fired the soldiers and he had hired from the north and sent them home. And they were very angry at losing their jobs, but they went home. The reason I've read this is because what's happening here is that, first of all, Amaziah is established. He has um, set himself up as the king, and everyone is doing what they should do. Okay? In other words, he was well established and he was on his throne, my throne, my kingdom, my people, my decisions, my choice. He had established himself and he had become, as it were, independent from God in his thinking and in the way he worked because he was the king, because he had the money because he felt he could do whatever he liked. And very often, the fraction of our heart that goes missing is when we become well-established. We don't any longer have to ask God for money because we've got it. We don't have to ask God for for the job or the promotion because we've got it. Mine, it's all mine. And when we start to talk about what is mine, God begins to be moved to the side. Has anybody read the screw tape letters? Very interesting. I just, I happened to pick it up the other day and there's a whole chapter about the word mine and how the devil is very happy when we choose to say something is mine because he knows that nothing we have belongs to us. But once we start to talk about mine, we're saying, God, this is not yours? What have we named as ours? What have we laid claim to that therefore God no longer has any any hold on? Because what we take away from God, he doesn't take back unless we give it to him. God wants everything, our whole heart. Amaziah decided he was self sufficient now he was self sufficient nobody was troubling him he had everything sorted and sometimes we can get into that place and we lose our dependence on god because we feel we are self sufficient we have our own house we have our job we have our car maybe we might say lord help us when the car breaks down slightly but we've got the money to fix it so hey I want us to think about where we are. God has blessed us. But you know, very often God blesses us and then he stands back and he, to see what we're going to do with what he's given to us. To see what, how our attitude might change. To see the thoughts in our head, how we, how we regard the things that God has blessed us with. And he watches to see who remains wholehearted? Scripture says that the Lord's eyes searched the earth to see whose hearts are fully, still fully committed to him. It's interesting that the scripture says he searches, which says that it's not easy to find. Not easy to find. The bit I call Mine. Another bit, another bit, another fraction that sometimes goes missing, that breaks away, is in relation to disobedience. In relation to disobedience. Now, um, Amaziah was disobedient, and he probably wasn't even aware that he, that he was wrong, that he shouldn't have done it. Scripture says that God says, don't number my people Don't count the army. They're mine. You shouldn't be counting them. But he did it. He was wrong. He was disobedient. And you know something? Sometimes out of ignorance or deliberately, we disobey what God says. And we still expect God to bless us. We step out of the flow of his blessing through disobedience. Deliberate disobedience. We know what scripture says. And you know, some, some people have the gall to go to another church because they don't say that there. <laughs> you know, a, diff- a different brand of Christianity is over there. So let me go there. Let me salve my conscience a bit. But the word of God remains the same. Let me encourage you. Anybody who doesn't go to cell group, anybody who, is a, who isn't involved in some sort of discipleship, you need to get involved Because when you learn and you know the word, then you can stay away from the place of ignorant disobedience. You can live by the word. I don't know whether people told just um, Amaziah that what he was doing was wrong. And you know, sometimes people know it's wrong, but they don't tell you he was the king for goodness sake. If you said it and he wasn't happy about it, you could lose your head could use their life. Your whole family could lose their lives. And sometimes we stand up so high that we are unwilling to hear what scripture says about what's right and wrong. Or, we, or sometimes we know what's right and wrong and we choose to do the wrong thing. That part of your heart no longer belongs to him when we step into the realm of disobedience. Examine ourselves Examine ourselves in the light of the word of God and bring ourselves back in line, even if it is to your detriment. Oh, well, God won't mind. Yeah. How many times have we said, oh, well, God won't mind. Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do it and then I'll repent. <laughs> ever done that one? I'll, I'll sort of, I'll do it and then I'll say sorry. you got children who, ever had a child who does that? It's called willful disobedience. (laughs) And what do you do with a child who's willfully disobedient? (laughs) And you teach them, you mustn't do that. And God is so gracious, isn't He? So often we deserve His scolding. The Bible says He is tender. Not the Bible, there's a song which says He is tender and loving and patient with me as he cleanses my heart from its dross. And there's no condemnation. I know I am free because my sins have been nailed to the cross. If you're in a place of sin, in a place of disobedience before God, you can ask him to forgive you. You can ask him to cleanse you. And you can give him back the whole of your heart and live in righteousness before the Lord. Amaziah was in the place of lacking trust in God. He had a battle to deal with. He had a battle, a a, a conflict that he was faced with. And he knew how many soldiers he had. And he thought to hedge his bets, to make sure that he was victorious, he would send and bring in another number of men who would be good fighters to join with his own. Amaziah was a king under God's leadership. But he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God. In fact, because he felt self-sufficient, because he had the money to do it, he bought in other men to help him to win the battle. And he would have gone ahead, but for the fact that God sent a man of God to tell him, don't do it. Isn't God able to fight for you? Sometimes we stand in a place of self-sufficiency or we, we say, Lord, I trust you, but just in case. Yeah? Just in case we do something else. We, we prepare for ourselves a plan B just in case he doesn't come through for us. That's not wholeheartedness. That's not wholeheartedness. God, I trust you and you alone. Lord, speak to me. Help me to know your strategy and help me to trust you that whatever you say to me is what you're going to do. He does not go back on his word When it comes to his children, if you call yourself a child of God, if you have committed your whole heart and life to God, he can be trusted. Amen. God can be trusted. This is fundamental. This is basic stuff. But some of us need to hear it again. The Spirit of God says to you, trust him. Trust the God of your salvation. He will not let you down. He will take the circumstances. He is big enough to take whatever circumstances, whatever people who are involved, whether they're Christian or not Christian, or the worst possible people on the face of the earth, he can deal with them and deal with the situation, but he's saying, trust me. Trust me. And some of you, you're not wholehearted because an element of your heart does not trust God completely. Does not trust God completely. God searches the earth for those people who are wholeheartedly committed to Him to strengthen them. If your whole heart is not His, He's not able to strengthen you in the way that He wants to strengthen you. He's not able to support you in the way that He wants to support you. Trust in God. Trust in God. Lack of trust means a lack of wholeheartedness. Those who are wholehearted have Christ standing in every doorway of every area of their life and his hand on every handle. Amen? Those who are wholehearted have Christ standing in every doorway of every area of their life and his hand on every handle. In other words, every doorway, if he's standing in the door, if somebody's standing in your doorway, you can't go through unless you touch them, can you? You can't go through unless you ask them to move aside. You can't go anywhere without him. And that's what God wants for each of us. He wants us to have him At the center of every doorway. There's a song which says, Jesus, be the center. Be my center. Be my source. Be my life. Let him stand in every doorway. Touch him. Ask him. Trust him. Obey him. That's what wholeheartedness means. I want us to move on. I want us to think also about this next one, this next fraction. I've called it personal conviction, a fraction that's been taken away through due to a lack of personal conviction. And I want to share with you, just to illustrate it, another story, which is in Second Chronicles. This time, it's um, 24, and it's a different king the king before Amaziah, um, called Joash. It says Joash was seven years old when he became king. He was the king for 40 years. Um, Now, he was seven when he became king. And because he was so young, it was a high priest that helped him in his decision-making, that helped him in his um, leading the kingdom. And this uh, high priest was called Jehoiada, He taught and trained him, the priest Jehoiada. Joash did what pleased God throughout Jehoiada's lifetime. Jehoiada picked out two wives for him. He had a family of both sons and daughters. The time came when uh, Joash determined to renovate the temple, and that's what he did under this high priest's oversight. And then what happens in this chapter is that this high priest dies. And when he dies, the king, who is now an adult, he has other courtiers who come to him and they say, well, actually, let's not serve God anymore. I don't think you should serve God anymore. I think we should bring in these idols and we should serve these idols now. And it looks better. It's far, it's far more becoming of you as a king. And Joash does it. So Joash, after being led by this high priest all his life, when the high priest dies, he now takes on the counsel of these particular courtiers. I want to ask you, why are you serving Jesus? Why are you serving God? Is it because you've grown up in the church and you've had the teaching of CLF all your life? Is it because you You've, you've always done it, never done anything else. Because if that's your conviction, if that's what you're standing on, then the minute you are elsewhere, everything falls apart. I'll never forget when I first went to university. Growing up, grown up in the church from the age of 12. I, I committed my life to the Lord at the age of 14. I went to university at the age of 18. And I remember going to my Uh, halls of residence and uh, my parents delivered me there and I sat on my bed and they'd gone off home. I remember sitting on my bed thinking, if I want to, I could do anything I liked and no one would know. And you know what came to me? I don't want to do anything. I want to serve Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. And whatever these next three years, confront me with, I'm going to serve him. Because I know him, I know Jesus, I know who he is, regardless of my church, and my youth leader, and the people in my church, and all those people I'm committed, regardless of them, I choose to serve Jesus. That's what I did. And there were some tough times some horrible times when I had to make a stand because my commitment was to Jesus. Not to people, not to my church, but to Jesus. And I made certain commitments in terms of going to church and in terms of spending time with the Lord and so on when no one else was there to monitor me. How wholehearted are you in terms of your personal conviction? How wholehearted are you in terms of your personal conviction? Are you sure that you're serving the Lord? Or are you in it? Because that's what you do. That's what you do on a Sunday. That's just what you do, you know? And it is so easy to just get into that rhythm of doing church and doing Christianity, but actually you're not connected to the Lord. He's waiting. He's never going to impose himself. He's just waiting for you to connect with him in your heart. He's waiting for you to connect with him in prayer, in taking time to be with him, so that your whole heart becomes his. Wholehearted commitment attracts the Lord's favor, his support and his strength. I've mentioned just a couple of things that can take your heart away from wholeheartedness towards God. But there are numbers of other things. What's yours? What's the Holy Spirit putting his finger on? He's saying, I don't have that bit. Do you want to give it to me? I don't have that bit. Will you give it to me? I'd like to strengthen you, is what the Lord is saying. I'd like to support you. I'd like to give you far more than you have. But I need your whole heart. I need everything. There's a song which says, Lord, I give you my heart. That's, we sing it with such passion. We sing it with such emotion. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every step that I make, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Fabulous song. And in the emotion of a Sunday morning, I mean it. Yes, I mean it. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? But commitment and loyalty remains the same when the emotion and the mood in which you said it no longer exists. So take away the emotion, take away the wonderful feeling, take away the congregation of the saints. Do you still mean it? If you still mean it, you need to do it. Let me just suggest a couple of ways in which you can begin to give your heart back to God. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Let me read to you a quote from this book. You recognize anyone? Pastor Joe's book Excellent read. Very easy to read. There's a really nice quote in here about holiness and the importance of pursuing holiness. It says this. The word holiness refers to being set apart consecrated or dedicated to god it is a mindset and a choice that expresses itself through a life of purity we are made holy by being born again ephesians 1 verse 4 but are also encouraged to remain holy after we we unite with christ one cannot be coerced into holiness God will not coerce you, push you, make you become holy. It it must be chosen as a way of life after entering God's kingdom. This is why God's word encourages his people to be holy. He makes us holy, but we must also choose to remain holy. Pursue holiness to have You can't be partially holy. So your whole heart must be his if you want to pursue holiness. So I'm encouraging you to give your whole heart to God through your pursuit of holiness. Secondly, commit yourself to knowing God through his word. Commit yourself to knowing God through his word. And that is so important. That's why I mentioned earlier the importance of going to a cell or some sort of discipleship uh, course or training. And a lot, of, a lot of us, oh, I'm so tired in the week. And it's true, me too. But if you're going to grow in love with Jesus, if you're going to grow in love with God, you need to know him. And you can know him through his word. Sunday morning, emotion is not going to keep you. And i tell you something, in this day and age, in these last days, you need to have something more because emotion will fritter away. And if there's nothing deep down inside the Word of God and uh, uh, your own personal knowledge of God through His Word, you are going to also fritter away. A lot of people spend a lot of time watching um, televangelists. evangelists is these God-channel things. I don't have it, so I don't, you know. But some people, that's it. That's their food. That's their food. You need to know God for yourself. Wholeheartedness requires that you pursue God through your commitment to knowing him through his word. Take time in his presence. Take time in his presence. I have a lovely husband And uh, yesterday we were at this doing the seminar thing and he said with such passion, he said, I love her now more than I did when we were first married. And it's true, he does. And you know why? (laughs) You know why? Because he's taken time with me. He's taken time to get to know me over the many, many years we've been together. And that's exactly the same with God. You've got to take time with him. Take time to be in his presence, to get to know him, because as you get to know him, you can't keep a part of your heart away from him. You can't. As you grow in love with him, you want to give give more and more of yourself to him. So take time to get to know him. And lastly, as I said earlier, trust God. Trust God. And this, this illustration came to me. Some of, us, some of us here have had some, have been, life has dealt you some hard blows. And so your philosophy now is, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. But God says, trust me. Trust me. Trust him in the little things and you'll find that more and more you can grow in trust and as you trust him, you'll give him more and more. Take all your eggs out of all those different baskets. Put, put your all in for Jesus. He won't fail you. He won't fail you. I want to read that verse that I've been alluding to throughout, finally. Um, but also, before I do that, um, Solomon says, David says to Solomon, he says, Solomon, my son... Get to know the God of your ancestors. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and he understands and knows every plan and every thought. That was wise. Get to know him, worship him, serve him with your whole heart. For the Lord sees every heart And that's important to know because it's your heart he sees and he knows. And the word of God to you today relates to something that you're holding back from him. This verse, 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen or strongly support those whose hearts are... Now, each of those bullet points are all a vers- number of different versions in the Bible of the same phrase. To, in order to support those whose hearts are fully committed, wholeheartedly belong, is whole towards, completely belongs to, is loyal to Him. Your whole heart. Are we wholehearted? Let's stand. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you for the call of your hearts. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's beckoning to give us, to give you everything. Lord, we want to give you our whole heart. Mind, body, soul, everything. Lord, we want to give you everything that you put your finger on that we're withholding from you. Spirit of God, do your wonderful work of grace in each of our lives. We want more of you, but Lord, we hear you saying right now, you want more of us. Help us, Lord, to bring to the cross... Our sin, our disobedience, our half-heartedness. Help us, Lord, to serve you with everything we have. Help us, Lord, to come before you in prayer and in just times of getting to know you the way you want to know us. Lord, you yearn for intimacy with each of us. And we're so reluctant to draw near to you. But Lord, we pray that today there will be a change. Lord, we give you everything. Father, I pray for those who are bound spiritually and cannot give because that part has been held in bondage by the enemy. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that today you will break chains, break the destructive strongholds of the enemy, that every part of individual's lives will be able to be submitted to you, committed to you. Lord, have your way. Have your way in each of our hearts and lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, in the authority and the power of of Jesus' name, bring us into a place of total commitment to you. Lord, we raise our hearts and our hands in surrender. Amen. We raise our hearts and our hands in surrender to you. Take us all, Lord take us all and be glorified through our lives. Take us all, Lord, and strengthen us for the days ahead. Strengthen us for the things that are up the road that we haven't even begun to to see or understand or realize is coming. Lord, we want to be wholehearted so that you can strengthen us and support us for anything that we have that's going to be presented before us. Lord, Lord. Help us. Lord, please minister to us. Lord, please draw us into your presence in a wholehearted commitment. We ask this, Father, to the glory of your name. Amen. <laughs>